Thank you, Stephanie. We are grateful for your ministry here and helping us, and for Chad and Becca serving with you today. If you've got your worship guide, you'll see in there a copy of a proposed membership covenant. I'll ask you to pull that out, but that's not what we're going to preach from. Uh, And I'll ask you to hold on. We're going to read through it in a little bit, at least some of the particulars. But I'll ask you first to take your Bible and turn to Hebrews 10. I was talking with Byron yesterday at the Jones' home and uh, was telling him, you know, a sermon is not a talk. A sermon is an exaltation of Christ. And a sermon should be deeply rooted in the Word of Christ. And it should have points that come from the Word and should be evident. Uh, There have been folks who, you know, you'll hear a good illustration and someone will say, man, that'll make a good sermon. And I try to be gracious because my response naturally will be, no, it won't. It's a good illustration. It's not a good sermon. A good sermon comes from the Word of God. And when we gather as God's people, we need to hear the Word. We need to hear the Word. And we need to know what we're doing is because of the Word, because the Word guides us. And so though the membership covenant that we've put there before you is full of the Word, it's based from the Word. That's why there are verses after those paragraphs to let you know we just didn't sit around in an office and this is where it came from. It's grounded in the Word. But before we get there, I want to show you uh, some other things in the Word that would move us into why we are doing a covenant and why it's important. When I was in college, I, I was a freshman at LSU and I lived in Kirby Smith. Has anyone else ever lived in Kirby Smith at LSU? All right. Sole survivor, I guess. All right, well... Uh, I lived on the 14th floor. That is the top floor. There are actually 13 floors, but they chose not to have a 13th floor, so they go from 12 to 14. And uh, at the end of my fall semester, again, first year, I felt the burden that uh, God wanted me to start a Bible study in that dorm. I'd never led a Bible study on a regular basis, but I just knew one thing. I knew that if I didn't do that Bible study, I would be disobedient. And so I put up flyers uh, around Kirby Smith, and, and I was scared to death. And uh, the first meeting, we had four people, and that was three more than I thought would show up, you know. But uh, the Lord was really gracious to us and really gracious to me, uh, barely discipled, you know, 18, 19-year-old at that point, and just doing his best of, Lord, what do you want us to talk about? And by the end of the semester, 30 to 35 guys would pack in that dorm room. And it was incredible to see what the Lord would do. And in, in, in that group, we began to form accountability. And, and uh, we would begin to share life with one another. And we would share and be open about areas where we were struggling so that the Lord might use us in each other's life to push us to holiness and obedience, most importantly, to push us to Christ as our source of help. And uh, that group continued, uh, moved off campus the next year. And for the next few years, uh, would continue to be together a Bible study, and one of the guys that was, uh, that was in our Bible study struggled with alcohol, and he, and he uh, probably was uh, an alcoholic, basically coming out of high school and in, in college, and the environment that he'd been in, and, and one night, I was on a date, uh, and it was not with Tara, so I won't talk much about that girl, I don't even remember who she was, all I remember is Tara, <laughs> but I was on a date. And uh, the friend that was in this Bible study group, uh, he called, and he said he was at a bar. And of all places, for someone who struggles with alcohol to be, uh, that's not the best place. Would you agree? It's just like anytime you see me park at uh, uh, Shipley Donuts, you know, 
someone pull over and help, all right? <laughs> Something dangerous is about to happen, all right? <laughs> if the hot light's on at Krispy Kreme, someone tell my truck. So uh, this brother was struggling, and here I was on a date, and uh, he called just like that. And uh, I answered, and he said, what are you doing? I said, well, I was on a date. What are you doing? And he said, well, I'm at the bar. And I said, I haven't drunk anything. He said, but I'm stupid for being here. Would you come get me? And I said, no, I'm on a date. And I hung up and went on with the date. And I'm just kidding. I did not. Look at you people. No faith. Look at you. Man, that's awful. Breathing heavy and shocked. So my date and I went and picked up this guy, and we, uh, we, we all went and watched a movie together, all three of us, and uh, uh, it was good. See, that was the Lord's providence. God used him to save me from this girl I would never marry. See, it worked out well. She's like, we can't be picking up other dudes on all our dates, and that just settled it. But uh, <laughs> the, the, the incredible part was he knew how much I cared. And the reason I did that, number one, Jesus, but number two, because I need that accountability as well. And there would be days when it would be my turn to call. And what it means to be the church in so many ways is we have responsibilities to one another, primarily to spur one another on to love and good works. That's what we find in Hebrews 10. And we can do that best when we know two things. One, who are we accountable to? Who, who is the one another? And where are we struggling? And is this a place that I can be honest and transparent and bear my soul that you might push me more to Christ in all of these areas? And so I'm going to ask you to stand. We're just going to read two verses from Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. We're going to have a short word here. We'll move into that covenant. We want to be reminded from the text, and we certainly want to exalt Christ, which Hebrews 10 does. Two verses, Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. Here's what it says. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Father, I pray that you would remind us from your word this morning what it means to be the church. There's so many directions that can be taken and so many uh, different instructions your word gives. But, Father, here we are at this place in the text. And so we want to be those who spur one another onto love and good works. We want to meet together. We want to encourage one another. And we want to do it more and more as we see the day approaching. Father, we are able to do this because of what Hebrews 10 will tell us, because Christ is the chief mediator. He is the ultimate sacrifice. And he has provided a way. And what he has done in his substitutionary atonement has implications for not just our eternity, but for our very present lives and our lives individually and corporately. So, Father, would you teach us now from your word? Would you help us to exalt Christ? And then as we communicate expectations of members, would you help our folks to see these are your expectations? They're not mine. They're not the elders. It's what your word tells us. It means to be the church. So would your spirit give us eyes to see and ears to hear and move us in line and obedience with your word. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Three simple teaching points from this text in Hebrews 10. The first one is what the church should be doing. And you'll see I, I didn't provide an outline for you. Uh, and if you notice on the screen, you see the title of the sermon, Covenant Sermon. I went real creative 
It's my desire. If I can be as creative, then you'll love Jesus. Just kidding. We want to be faithful. And the first thing that we're going to see here in Hebrews 10 is what the church should be doing. And, in, and we find it in verse 24. And it says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We can't see it in the English, but in the primary language here, which is what? Greek. The language of the New Testament is Greek. It says, basically, let us consider one another stimulating each other to love and good works. So the consider, what follows right behind it, is one another. And so what should the church be doing? As I said before, there's many things the church should be doing. The church should be making disciples. That's clear from Jesus. Always want to remind us, if we, don't, if we can't put anyone down on our sheet of paper of who we're making disciples, we're in disobedience to the Lord's commands. We should be making disciples. There, there are other imperatives that the Lord gives us. But in this text, what it says is that we should be doing two things. We should be considering and we should be stirring one another. We should be considering and we should be stirring one another. And here's what we stir one another to, love and good works. So what the text tells us, if we're going to be the church, then we should be considering one another and we should be stirring one another to love and good works. Now, I don't want to do rocket science this morning, but I want to give us some basic implications of that. Here's some basic implications. Number one, if we're to consider and stir each other love and good works, then basic implication number one is we ought to be thinking about each other. We ought to be thinking. The word consider there means setting that mind on, focusing on, all right? And so, implication number one is we ought to think about each other sometime besides Sunday, right? Number two, if we are to consider and stir one another on, not only are we to be thinking with one another, but we should be interacting with one another. The best way to spur someone on is to actually correspond to them, to communicate with them. It's difficult to spur someone on if you've never talked to them or you never interact or have any kind of meeting with them. Would you agree with that? All right. See, we are plumb lining the depths today, right? So basic, we should be thinking about each other. We should be interacting with one another. And we are to be aiming at love and good works. We're going to talk about those in just a moment, what that looks like. But I want to add one more. We are to know who the one another is. We are to know who the one another is. If I'm supposed to be thinking about people and, and stirring them on, who is it? Who's the one another? Who is it that's a, a part of this group? So I'm going to pause there and ask some application questions for us. And the first one is this. How often do you think about stirring your brothers and sisters here onto love and good works? So if Hebrews 10 says that the church is to be considering and stirring one another, let me just ask you. How often do you consider your brothers and sisters here that you might stir them onto good works? Do you wake up on Monday morning and think, how can you use me, God, in the lives of my faith community as well as those outside of it? Do you wake up from your nap on Tuesday afternoon after your five-hour energy drink and think, how can God use me? How often do you think about stirring your brothers and sisters here onto love and good works? The second question is, how often do you stir your brothers and sisters on to love and good works how often do you interact with them communicate with them be involved in their lives to stir them on to love and good works some particular questions then would be in whose life is God using you here in our faith community in whose life is God using you here in our faith community and then obviously the flip side of that is who is God using in your life I want to remind you of something at this point I didn't write Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10 says that we're to consider and stir one another on. So either we're going to do what God thinks the church should do or we're not. 
And if we're not going to do what God wants, then we really shouldn't meet together each Sunday. It's my simple conviction because we don't want to create our own definition of church. Our task is to line up with his definition. He planned it, purchased it, powers it. Remember? A few weeks ago. So whose life is God using us here? And then I guess one other question just in this first section is how much of this considering and stirring takes place outside of Sunday? How much of it takes place outside of Sunday? And it's difficult. Tara and I talk about it all the time because we are a faith community that literally drives from all over. Some of you drive, uh, Mr. Earl and them, you can take Jubin exit over there off 12 to get to their house. Mr. Earl and them are over in the, in the college, in the Medley section. Some of our folks are in Prairieville. Some of our folks are in Gonzales. So how is it that we interact besides Sunday? I will tell you, it won't happen on accident. It means we are intentionally involved in one another's lives. One of the best ways for that is our Wednesday night small groups. One of the best ways is to be involved in those small groups or in small group in some form. Or it doesn't have to be limited. Friend, you don't have to be limited in your name be on the board to have a small group of folks that you're spurring on. Feel the freedom to do that. We just want to know how are we accomplishing this. So what the church should be doing is considering and stirring one another to love and good works. Uh, I think about how many of you ever jumped off a high dive? How many of you may have struggled the first time you went off the high dive? I can remember that it seemed so tall to me, and uh, I wasn't really excited about that. And my problem is I've always kind of been deep and wide, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and so I wasn't real excited, but I can remember climbing up, and it just seemed forever. We are climbing Jacob's ladder, ladder. You remember? You know, it's how far is this thing? And then I can remember the very first time I did it. And uh, and instead of being encouraged, there were people that were kind of mocking, come on, chicken, you know. And, I mean, I can't help I was a freshman in high school. But what happened was uh, I met this community pool at, at Leesville. And, and I can remember the first time I, I wanted to dive off of it. And uh, so I get out to the end, you know, and you're trying to muster up the courage. And it seems like you could just, like, plunge over, right? You know, just let your head carry you on over and you could accomplish this dive. But somehow reasoning kicks in and you fight that, right? And so in the middle of this whole process, I fell off the board. And uh, I mean, I'm just like plunging and I landed smack on my face. And I remember someone was like, are you okay? And I was like, is there still flesh? (laughs) And uh, that was my first experience off the high dive. And uh, I think about, though, uh, how it could have been uh, much more enjoyable had there been folks that were actually encouraging, and even folks with wisdom said, don't try to die, buddy, just jump the first time, feet first, let's try that, you know? And as we consider this passage in Hebrews 10, you know, not everyone is a naturally gifted evangelist like Chris, but maybe God can use Chris in our lives to spur us to evangelism, and we need to spur one another. Maybe not everyone knows systematic theology as well as Dr. David, but maybe God uses Dr. David to spur us to think more upon God. And this is what it means to be the body. Mr. Al and his mercy. Some of us aren't very merciful. If you don't believe that, then just interact with one another for a while. You'll find out who they are. And, uh, and, uh, and I am them in days. There are days I don't want to be merciful, but when you interact with a Mr. Al who's merciful, he spurs me on to be merciful. This is what it means to be the church, all right? Mr. AJ, who comes up and changes the filters. If you've noticed, all our air conditioners have filter size painted on it. He and Eric have been a part of changing that. Mr. AJ spurs me on to do things that no one else knows about, 
All right? This is what it means to be the church and to interact with one another. And we need to be spurring one another. And if you're not spurring anyone on to Christ, to love and good works, let me just ask you a question. Why? Why not? Friends, we don't want to be in disobedience to this text. And number two, I don't know anyone who doesn't need to be spurred on. I need it. This is what it means to be the church, what we should be doing, considering and stirring one another to love and good deeds. The text gives us two ways we can do that. Look in verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. He gives us, here's two ways, just in this text alone, that we can consider and stir one another. And the two ways are meet together, encourage one another. Meeting together, encouraging one another. Man, this is deep stuff. How have we never seen this? Uh, it makes sense, right? If you're going to be used in each other's lives, then you've got to be together. And forever, this text has been uh, used to say, listen, you need to be at worship on Sunday. And it is important because this is the day in which we gather as the Lord's people all together. We need to hear a word from the Lord. We want to exalt Christ together. That is important. But I would submit to you that meeting together in this text is not limited to Sunday. It is not limited to Sunday. If we're going to spur one another on to love and good works, then we've got to be meeting together. And if, friends, you're never meeting with anyone in this faith community except on Sunday, then we're too busy. And there are other things that are dominating our calendar. And I'm not saying, this isn't the sermon that just says we just need to be internal. We've already prayed for Uganda and Mexico, the city here. We are an externally focused body. We want to spread the gospel. But at the same time, we want to be used in each other's lives. So we need to meet together. If we fail to get together, it will be difficult for us to stir one another on to love and good works. Second, when we meet together, we should encourage one another. How many of you have ever come to church and you've been discouraged by someone? <laughs> it's okay to be honest. Jesus knows, right? Sometimes that happens, you know. We all have interchanges where something happens and sometimes someone says a careless word. Or they may not even know it's careless. You ever met some people who are careless are also clueless, and it's just both their gifts, right? And it's, it's good to be able to have them both together. That way you can offend and never know you did and just go on with life, right? That's, uh, that's such a blessing for all of us. So, we, uh, you know, sometimes there are these people, and so sometimes you come and, and you're not encouraged. Sometimes we may even be discouraged, but uh, it's not what someone says to me one way or another that ultimately compels me. It's uh, obedience to Christ that should drive what I do and where I am. But in here we're told not neglecting to meet together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And I want us to land here for just a moment. How can we encourage one another? Well, let me look and show you something they do in the text. Look over in verse 32 of chapter 10. Here's some things they did to encourage one another. The first thing is that they sacrificially supported one another. Beginning in verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. And so this church is standing for Christ, and it causes them reproach publicly, and sometimes it's their turn, and sometimes they partner with the others who it's their turn to be publicly uh, reproached. Verse 34 says, For you had compassion on those in prison, 
and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abiding one. So here's what happens in this faith community. They're encouraging one another to stand for Christ. And as they stand for Christ, some of them are shamed publicly. Some of them are put in prison. And the others could lay in hiding a little bit. But what they've decided is to be public and support these brothers. And it costs them all their stuff. It costs them all their stuff. But then he tells you in the text, you were okay with that. Because you have a better possession. You have a better possession. You see, this is a body that they encourage one another through sacrificial support. Not hidden. Very public. We're going to stand for Christ. And we're going to stand for one another. We're going to be united. But look back in Hebrews chapter 3. Here's another way that we are told to encourage one another. This is a passage that I've shared often with our fellows at 5. But what I want to push us to in obedience. So we're told to encourage one another. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14 says this. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Look at what 13 says in particular. But exhort one another every day. When are we supposed to do it? All right. It says exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So we see the church, the, the author is writing to these Hebrews and, and he says, look, he says, you have stood with one another. But here's something you should be doing every day. Remind each other of sin's deceitfulness every day. Remind each other to be faithful every day. Choose Christ every day. Because somehow with sin, we can have Groundhog's Day. We wake up and think it's going to be different, but it never is. How many of you saw that movie, Groundhog's Day? And it just recurs over and over and over. Friends, that's how it is, that's how it is with sin. How many of you have ever chosen sin and found it to be a benefit to you? How many of you have ever chosen sin and found it to be the best path for you to take? I have never once chosen sin. And yet somehow, every time I'm tempted, I have selective memory. Anyone else? I have selective memory because I think it might be different this time. I I mean, the first thousand times I did this, this is how it turned out. But thousand one may be different. Oh, it's not. Right. right? So we we just go down the simpleton path, right? Proverbs says the unwise sees problems coming and heads straight for them. But the wise finds a ditch to hide in, right? And so one of the things that we want to be are the people who every day remind each other, Choose Christ today, not sin. And you know how you do that? You send a text. You send a Facebook message. You email. You call. You knock on a door. But every day, Crosspoint should be reminding each other, don't be fooled by sin. It'll be the same today as it was yesterday and the same it is tomorrow. So as we meet together and encourage one another, we encourage each other, keep running. Keep running. Keep choosing Christ. I want you to hold your place there and go back to Galatians 6, a passage that we encountered several months ago. How do we encourage one another? How do we encourage one another? Galatians 6, we're told in verse 10, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are the household of faith. As we have opportunity, we should be doing good to everyone, but especially those that are in our faith community. And here are some ways that we can do that. Go back to verse 1. 
Brothers, if anyone is called in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So we're supposed to meet together and encourage one another. And from this text, one of the things that we want to be reminded is when one of us sins, how many of you think you will sin this week? How many of you think you would sin less if we remind each other every day not to choose sin? All right. But even knowing that, some of us are still going to be ornery and we're still going to choose sin, right? And when that happens, one of the ways we encourage each other is restoring one another rather than condemning. Remember when we walked through this passage and I told you restoration, not condemnation. The incredible thing about these nuclear plants in Japan, I'm always amazed where you think about the Twin Towers in New York. When everyone else is running out, there's always some teams of people that are running in. That's the incredible part, right? When it comes to sin and the lives of people in the church, when everyone else runs out, friends, we run in. We run into one another. We're going to choose sin. And one of the ways we encourage each other is, you chose sin. Don't do it tomorrow. Don't do it tomorrow. We're going to restore you. You're not booted out of the club. Because if that's the case, we'd all be booted out of the club. But we're going to restore one another, right? Galatians 6.2, here's another way we encourage one another. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And the word bear here means this heavy load carried for a long time. And this is where I said a few months ago, perspiration, not isolation. How many of you know a burden is better shared than carried alone? And this is what it means. We encourage one another by saying, you're going through this, let me help you carry it. Let me share this with you. Which means, you know what, some of us have to be honest. And in the church, it's okay not to have it all together. I don't know anyone who has it all together except Jesus. So the rest of us, we're going to have problems. And we're going to need one another. So the church has got to be a safe place that we can bear our burdens. And then we find people who are willing to carry it with us. So as we meet together and encourage one another, we remind each other, look, don't choose sin. But if you do, we're going to restore you. And as you're walking through a struggle, whatever it is, I'm going to carry it with you. We're going to carry it together. All right? Then number three, verse 3, For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, not in his neighbor, for each one will have to bear his own load. And so one of the ways we encourage each other is remaining humble. Because if you're helping people who sin and you're helping people who struggle, you can become arrogant in your own self. And what Paul writes says, don't be arrogant. Christ is your standard, not them. And so one of the ways that we encourage one another is realizing I'm going to have sin, I'm going to have struggles, I'm not super Christian, I'm going to need help too. And so we don't get puffed up. Our standard is not our brother or sister who keeps falling or stumbling. Our standard is Christ. When you compare yourself to him, there is no comparison, is there? So one of the ways is, become, is remaining humble. Let me give you two more. I won't make you turn there, but Colossians 3 it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you, what, church? Richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. So as we meet together and we encourage one another, Colossians 3 says, we speak the word into each other's lives. We speak the word into each other's lives. Do you know why we teach you Revelation verse by verse? One, because we want to torture you. Two, I'm just kidding. Two, because we need to know what Revelation says. John writes and says, blessed is the one who hears these words, right? Do you know why we're going to teach you Joshua verse by verse should the Lord give us the next few months? Because we need to be speaking God's word into each other's lives. We don't need Ann Landers. We don't need what whoever else on TV thinks. What David Letterman and his wisdom, I need his top tens. I just don't need anything else, right? We don't need the collective wisdom of the world. We need the word. 
And we need a church in which the word dwells richly in us as we teach and admonish one another. Guess what admonishing is? That encouraging, that exhorting. So when we meet together, we don't give each other just 34 years of accumulated wisdom. That's all I got. No, we give each other the word. The word, right? Now, let me take you back to Hebrews 10. As we meet together and encourage one another, I think there's one thing that should happen really above all of those that I've already given you. We remind each other of the gospel. We remind each other of the gospel. And here's where I get that. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. When we come to each other, what we want to do is encourage each other with the gospel. Christ took your sin. It's all gone. Christ is your hope from turning from sin. Christ is the one who is with you every day. Christ, Christ, Christ. This is what we want to point each other to and say, look, hold to this hope. Don't ever waver. That's what it says. Two words there. Hold fast without wavering. What to? The hope. What is the hope? It's Christ. It's the gospel. And I don't mean in an elementary just primarily evangelistic sense. I've tried to tell you over the past year, two years, we don't go past the gospel. We go deeper into the gospel. Christ Jesus is my only hope every day to be the pastor I need to be, to be the father I need to be, to be the husband I need to be. Christ and Christ alone is my hope. And so as we meet and encourage one another, we constantly push each other back to the gospel. All right? Now, let me move then to the last component of this, Why should the church do this? Why should the church do this? Let me give you a reason the text gives, and then I'll give you the primary reason the text gives. But one reason the text gives is our need for endurance. Look in Hebrews 10, verse 36. Look over in 36. Well, let's get 35 so we get a running start. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what's promised." You have a need for endurance. Hold your place there in 10 and go back to verse three, uh, chapter 3, the verses we read. Go back to chapter 3 in Hebrews. And look at verse 12 and then look at verse 14. Look at what it says. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Verse 14. For we share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And then one of the most famous passages. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run with what? Perseverance, the race marked out for us. That's Hebrews 12, 1, right? And you move on and 12, 2 tells you how to do that. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. That's how you run the race. You don't look at the race, you look at Jesus. You fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him endured. Do you see that word? It's all through the rest of Hebrews 12. The author of Hebrews 12 is saying, you want to talk about endurance? Then talk first about Jesus. Because he endured the cross, despising the shame, see at the right hand of the throne of God. Here's our word again from Hebrews 10, there in verse 3. Consider, think, set your mind on. Consider him who endured, there it is again, from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So you know why we need to meet together and encourage one another? Because some of us want to quit. Because some of us don't want to go all the way with Jesus. Because sometimes life gets difficult and we want to bail out. Because sometimes sin gets overwhelming and we feel dirty and shamed. 
So sometimes some of us are not going to want to keep running. And the reason we meet and encourage one another is to point each other to the gospel so that we keep running in Christ. We point each other to the word so that we'll be equipped to walk in this world. We restore each other because we're going to sin. But when we sin, we don't quit. We keep running because of what Christ is. And so we encourage one another. We remind one another. We are the church to one another so that we will continue to our very last breath. Too many people go out. John says some go out because they were never part of us. But those who are part of us, we want to persevere to the end. And we're going to do that. It's going to be because we're a church that is encouraging each other, that is meeting with one another, that's being the church. And I want to submit to you, I don't want to be any less than that. This is God's idea for the church. If that doesn't resonate with you and God's ideas don't resonate with you, then there's something that needs to be worked through there. This is God's plan for the church. Now, that's a good reason, wouldn't you say? Endurance, perseverance. But that's not the primary reason we do any of this. The primary reason is found in Hebrews 10. It's the substitutionary atonement of Christ. Because of what Christ has done, every day of the rest of my life should be different. Because of what Christ has accomplished, he should have reign over what we do as a church. Let me just take you back in Hebrews 10. For since the law... Verse 1, has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices there is reminder of sin every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sin offerings you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I've come to do your will, O God, as it's written of me in the scroll of the book. Man, how many of you should be grateful? Remember where we started? I didn't come to do my will. That's where we started the service. But to do the will of him who sent me. And here, that's even from Psalms. And Jesus is quoting, or the author of Hebrews is quoting it in reference to Jesus. Behold, I've come to do your will, O God, as it's written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I've come to do your will. He abolishes the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he is perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. You see, every service and every sermon should be an exaltation of Christ. And what we see here in Hebrews 10 is Jesus is sufficient. 
All of the lambs, all of the goats, all of the bulls, all of the doves that were slaughtered in the Old Testament, because of the sin of the people, all of those were but a shadow pointing to a needed sacrifice that would ultimately reconcile us with God. And what the author of Hebrews is trying to tell you throughout this whole book, Jesus is superior to angels. Jesus is superior to Moses. Jesus is superior to every other high priest. Jesus is superior to every other sacrifice. Jesus is the sacrifice. And friends, what we rejoice in today, Hebrews 10 is teaching us the cross is sufficient. We don't have to add anything. No other work has to be put into this. Jesus' work is accomplished. That's why he's sitting. And as we got to study, I love that we got to study Revelation 20 today because what are the last two things thrown into the lake of fire? Death and Hades. And you see this text? Jesus is waiting from that time until his enemies will be made a footstool for his feet. And we got to study that in studying Revelation today. But by a single offering, he has perfected for all time. Look at that, friends. Those who are being sanctified. Never forget, he who started the work will bring it to completion, friends. We are in the process of sanctification. But this, our great God, it's already been, it's already counted that way. He is bringing it for us and through sanctification. But he is perfected for all time, those who will come through this process. So here's this incredible picture, Jesus. Now, watch this. Why do we exalt Christ? Because watch what verse 19 starts with. Therefore. Therefore. How many of you like lettuce? Anyone? This is the lettuce patch in the Bible. In case you've never seen that. Let me show you. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, verse 22... Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Told you. Let us patch. There it is. And all of that because of what Christ has accomplished. So, you know, one way we exalt Christ, we be the church to one another. We spur one another on to love and good works because of the substitutionary atonement of Christ. The gospel is not just to be received, it's to be lived. And it makes an incredible difference in our lives. And so we see it here, and obviously I love verse 19. We, we saw in John the passage I read at the beginning of the service that the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. Now that we can draw near to God, friends, it's through Jesus, let's draw near to God. And now that we're there, let us hold fast to this confession of hope. And then let us spur one another on to love and good deeds. Now let me show you one other way. All right, we're going to wrap this up. Let me show you one other way. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Just one verse. One other way, the substitutionary atonement of Christ makes a difference in our lives together. What it means to be the church. Ephesians 4, verse 32 says this, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. How many of you would say if there's a church like that, it's a church you'd want to be a part of? The way a church becomes a church like that is they never get over the gospel. 
Do you know why I'm able to forgive you no matter what you email to me or write on a comment card or say about me to someone else and never to my face? You know how I'm able to do that? Because Christ forgives me of much. Do you know how you get over someone in this church who says something rude about your child? Christ has forgiven you much. You know how you get over someone in this church who forgets something special like your birthday or your happy anniversary day or any of these things? Christ has forgiven you much. Do you know how you get over anything that we would hold on to as a grudge? You never get over the gospel. And then you freely give the gospel to one another. Tender-hearted, kind, forgiving to this level as God in Christ forgave you. That's why the first part of Hebrews 10 is so important for the rest of Hebrews 10. That's the measure, and that's what we want to see here. That's what we want to see here. What you have in your hand is a document, and it is a member's covenant. We want to be very clear that Jesus is the only means to membership uh, to his church. That's for sure. But once we are members of Jesus' church, there are expectations of members. And these aren't ours. These are from the Bible. And that's why you have references at the end of those things. Here's our conviction as elders. We really want to be a biblical church. We really want to be a biblical church. So we've drafted this member covenant for two main reasons. To remind or inform each other of our biblical responsibilities to one another and to encourage each other to have the same mindset toward the church as Christ does. Jesus is serious about the church and we want to be too. Let me say very briefly, just look at me for a moment. Here's what covenant membership is. It is a willing pledge to guard, care, submit, and minister together for the building up of our church body. That's what it is. In the past, Crosspoint has had four member promises. It used to be to be a member of this congregation, you would sign a document that had four member promises. Those promises were, I will strive to protect the unity of my church, I will strive to share the responsibility of my church, I will strive to serve the ministry of my church. I will strive to support the testimony of my church. What we've done is tried to flesh that out a little bit more and in some specific things. And what you'll see on the front is what it means to be a covenant, why we're doing the covenant, but also on the front, you see what we're committing to as elders. We're not asking you to commit to anything just by yourself. Here's what we're committed to, and all of those come from the text. This is what you should expect of elders, be they me and David and Al, or any other generation of people who serve in this congregation. This is what God expects of elders, and you should expect nothing less, and you should pray for us that the Spirit would help us live these verses. On the back, then, is the actual member covenant, and this is the responsibilities that we are agreeing to together, that we're going to encourage one another, that we're going to bring our children up in the Lord, that we're not going to gossip, that we're not going to backbite, that if there needs to be discipline, we're going to do it as the text says, These are the things that we're committing to. And so the process will be, today is the 20th, and should the Lord give us the 30th. So not this Wednesday, but the next Wednesday, we're going to have a discussion on this. You have questions or you want more information about it, we're going to meet in the fellowship hall. So on that Wednesday night, our small groups, we're going to all meet here in the fellowship hall to have a discussion on this covenant. And then... Pending that discussion and the outcome of that, if that group affirms and recommends that we move forward to a congregational vote, then on April 3rd, that first Sunday in April, we will vote to make this our official church covenant with one another. And we'll encourage you to sign. And those who don't sign will not be members at Crosspoint. 
The reason being that we want to hold one another to what the Bible says. And if you don't want to do that, then you can take some time to consider that, pray about that, whatever the issues are. But this is what we're committing to, to one another, so that we know specifically. Often you join a church, but then we're not real clear on what are we holding each other accountable to. We're trying to make that real clear for us all, so we know what we're holding each other to accountable to, so that we can live the passage we've seen, spurring one another on to love and to good works. So we'll discuss it next Wednesday, should the Lord give that to us, and we'll vote on it on the 3rd. And any questions or feedback that you have. All right, and let me close this way. Transition to announcements and close our service.